Hello, everyone out there in podcast listening land. Welcome back to Yoga After Dark. Today is a very special day because I have Kate O'Donnell on the line, and she is the first interviewee that I have not actually met in person. This is our first foray into total virtualness on the podcast. Uh, Kate is in Maine. And I'm actually very shocked and surprised that I've never met her as I am from Maine and we are both Ashtanga practitioners and we've both been to India many times and yet somehow our paths have not crossed. She is also an Ayurvedic practitioner and she is the author of the Everyday Ayurveda series. There are three books in that series, all of which you can order off her website, which is kateodonnell.yoga. That is Kate. O-D-O-N-N-E-L-L dot yoga. Hi, Kate. How are you? Good, Michael. Thanks for having me. <laughs> oh, it's a pleasure. Um, so you're up in Maine now, yes? Portland, Maine. Yeah, we moved from Boston up here a little over two years ago. We, um, I had a Mysore program in Boston for 12 years but it was just getting really expensive to live there. Mm -hmm. And that was, uh, we have family up here in Portland. So it just kind of, it just kind of happened really fast two years ago. Oh, good. So, so you're originally from away, not from me. We're from New Hampshire. So yes, from away. Yes. yes <laughs> yeah. Not that far, but yes. <laughs> um, question about main things. Do you know what a dooryard is? No. You don't know what a dooryard is? A doya? A dooryard. No. A dooryard. Huh. <laughs> I actually don't even know what a dooryard is. <laughs> this is something I discovered uh, a couple years ago, is that um, a dooryard is, is very central to, to main linguistics, if you will, and somehow has not spread beyond its borders. So a dooryard is where you would play as a small child so that your mother could keep watch over you from the kitchen window. So it is the yard at the door because of course, front yards and backyards in Maine can be really quite expansive, you know, multiple acres. And so we always had to play in the dooryard. Um, but just to, you know, just mm -hmm. for fun and uh, trivia. Uh, so let's get right into it. Um, you, <laughs> you and Ayurveda and um, Ashtanga. So I was reading on your blog, your, your most recent blog is back from March and it's um, Quarantine Notes from Maine, uh, mm -hmm. I believe is the title of it. And it, for me, I really enjoyed reading it because it talked about a lot of things that uh, I, myself, and I think my students as well have been struggling with and how to simplify those things, including diet and, and schedule and uh, the amount of time that you're actually spending on, on a screen, on either the interwebs or entertaining yourself with some sort of TV, movie, something like that. Um, how, this is back in March, of course, um, how have you dealt with those three items for both you and the, and the community that you serve from late March until 
now. Now we're in November. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, I've been in a state of flux for a few years now because I was a Mysore teacher for 12 years, which, as you know, is an unforgiving schedule, you know, six days a week, early morning, getting up at 3.30 in the morning. And so uh, when I moved up here, I was no longer teaching Mysore. My partner, Rich, took it over and was was uh, spending the week in Boston and coming up, up to the house in Maine on the weekends. And uh, so I already had been struggling with the schedule shift <laughs> for a while. And then when I traveled a lot for work, and so when the quarantine hit, it was a really big change for me because I was in Boston a lot working and traveling all over the, internationally as well, teaching workshops on Ayurveda. And so suddenly, I. I it was like those same people were like, oh, well, do you want to do a virtual workshop, you know, with our community in Dubai or whatever? And so I was on the computer a lot, you know, and as an author, I've already had to contend with that. I've been writing, writing for eight years. It was eight years ago I started my first book. And so, and I've had always been working on a book <laughs> since then. <laughs> so I've, you know, I've computer hygiene. I think I've been working with that for a long time. And I miss, I miss the job, the physicality of the Mysore job sometimes for sure. But one of the things I realized like right away was no screens first thing in the morning, like no screens before practice. That's really important. And, um, and the practice became really like a lifeline for me in March that set the stage for the entire day. And I would notice that uh, because I, for a lot of us, I think there was a sensation of kind of spinning out of control of, of watching your, your job, your, your home life, like your kid's ability to go to school and for you to work and all that stuff was just falling away, you know? And it was like every week there was a new thing being taken away. And, and there was really a like spiraling sense of, um, of loss of control and loss of structure and, and I found that if I could keep it together in the morning <laughs> and you know, get from the bed through the tea drinking to the yoga mat without working any screen time, you know, that that made a huge, huge, huge difference. And that wasn't easy, you know, and I think now even people like read the paper on a device, yes. you know, that kind of things. So it's it's absolutely imperative that we turn off notifications. Oh, times. Thank you, Kate. Thank you. Can you can you just say that again so that all of the listeners can hear that from someone else that's not me, please? Yeah. Yeah, we really need to turn off notifications on the phone and do not use your phone for an alarm clock. I forbid it. Right? Oh. People need to like buy an old school alarm clock with batteries in it and keep you know, the you know what I have, Kate? I have an alarm clock that emulates the rising of the sun. I've heard about those. Um, they're, life, they're life changing, Kate. I mean, well, maybe you don't wake up as early as, as you used to. I'm, you know, and I actually, I don't either. I'm more of a 415 person now instead of a 315 person, which makes some difference, but yes. uh but having 
my bedroom light when I, when I get up, you know, and, and a gradient of light, not just a, you know, stagnant white light, uh, has really changed things for me. So I'm a big proponent of the dawn alarm clock. And also uh, the alarm is, is lovely birds chirping, you know, so it's, it's a pleasant experience. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think that's important. I think that that are, are the energies of the mind are, they are set upon waking. It's like you, you set the stage for the energy that's going to be at work in your day, whether it's going to be a, a calm energy or a very active energy. And that, that sort of thing is, is it's like our relationship to the cosmos, to the energies of the cosmos as they exist externally and as they exist in the human system, like my own mind, my own body, that communication and that relationship is being established from the moment that we wake up. So it's like, that's why I think something like your alarm clock is so awesome. You know, so if someone is, has like notifications on their phone and that's the first thing they see when they go to turn off their alarm, it's really not okay. It's gonna, it's gonna mess, the, the mind is, it's, it has no choice but to instantly attach itself to that content of the text or the, you know, social media or whatever it is. I, I even think like news notifications should not be pushed onto the, the home screen of one's phone at any time. So that I think is like the main thing for computer hygiene. It's like phone, how to deal with the phone and then not getting into the screen until like after you do your practice, you do your bathing, you do your food and then you start work. So for me, it's like, good Lord, I won't even start work until like 10. Good for you. 30. Oh, it's awesome. You know, it's, it's, it's totally fine for me. And like my, what I found during that quarantine period was that I was discovering my natural cycles. I was really feeling like when, when was I actually hungry? So like my partner and I started eating at different times, you know, it was random. We didn't talk about it. It just kind of started happening because like our appetites were, were different and there was no external influence for for a while like oh well I have this thing at two so I have to eat at one there was none of that and so I was I was really discovering like when am I hungry when am I energetic like when is my mind the most active and kind of going with those those cycles and that I discovered that my my appetite is like to eat something around 10 and then to eat something in the late afternoon and that's it. Like that's, that was working, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and it's like a lifeline, I think, to have a schedule like that and our bodies respond to it. Like the appetite, if it knows we're okay, we eat, you know, twice a day, late morning, late afternoon, like the, the body learns that rhythm and then kind of your, your gastric juices will actually start arriving at those times. It's, it's Pavlovian, right? It's the, the Pavlov's dogs, they're, they're used to a certain timing. They're used to the, the bell sound. Once that bell goes off, the saliva starts to, to drip and everything gets ready for the whole digestive process. Exactly. So, you know, I think that um, being like random about when we eat food 
it, your digestion takes a little hit with that. It gets better to uh, find a schedule. So for the yogis, it's like, you know, you got your morning routine, you do, you take a poop, you do yoga, you know, and then you generally, you're not hungry right after yoga. And that's pretty appropriate because their prana is kind of moving throughout the body. It's not centralized in the digestive organs for a while, maybe half hour or an hour. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's recommended not to eat right away. So I'll sort of like, you know, dink around. I, I sometimes take a shower, not nearly as often as I might. <laughs> I, 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 don't, I don't shower after practice. I'm a, I'm a big clean my body before practice. And then as far as I'm concerned, my practice is clean. You know? Yeah, absolutely. So. Absolutely. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's what the texts describe is that you do your bathing before you do your practices, whatever they may be. Yeah. Absolutely. I just don't bathe hardly. So (laughs) (laughs) it's, I'm going through a little phase in that, but as it gets colder, I have to kind of get more on it. I mean, here it's like, I was going to the ocean a lot Mm -hmm. in the, in the summer it was, we had a really hot summer. So that was kind of creating a different ablution schedule for me to go jump in the in the water and rinse off at the shower at the beach but yeah i think um i think that there's something about routine that gives us simplicity and it's the lack of routine that causes us to wonder and go crazy trying to uh discern what is the right path like the right thing to eat or the right time to eat, you know, all this hemming and hawing about it. Whereas, as you described with the Pavlovian response, the, the human body as an animal really responds to routine and rhythm. And so there's this period of, of courageous self-discipline in the beginning where we kind of get, get it going on routine-wise. And then, you know, you just, you just drop into it over the course of, I think it might take a few weeks or in some cases, a few months to arrive at that. Well, it's, you know, it's samskara, it's, it's habitual action. And so uh, the more, you know, if you have one habit, if your habit is to not have a routine, to just kind of be random, the only way to get rid of that habit is to replace it with a different habit. And, and that habit being the routine is going to take some effort on your part, probably, probably quite a lot of effort. But once that samskara gets rolling, eventually it's going to, you know, the threads of the samskara are going to bind together into the rope of the vasana. And then you're going to just simply have a tendency for that, for that routine. And then you can, you can hardly get rid of it, even if you tried, honestly. <laughs> Right. And I think, you know, the thing I noticed about Ashtangis is that the routine itself can become pathological Mm. and, you know, sort of an obsessive thing. So uh, I often... Ashtangis? Obsessive? Really? What are you talking about? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I often um, teach the importance of kind of blowing it out of the water periodically Mm. and and um i think that it actually it's like homeopathic amounts of arrhythmic behavior 
mm. are mm. healthy. It actually keeps the system a little bit resilient to change. And so we don't have to be like from A to Z perfect about these routines. You know, it's more about like a, a general daily flow, but that there are aberrations in the flow. It's, it's correct, I think, and normal to do something out of the ordinary occasionally, like once or twice a month, you know, you eat something totally weird or you eat at a weird time, you know? And I, I think it's, mm -hmm. I think if we don't get a homeopathic amount of that when we're healthy, you know, if people are, are in disease states, that's different. But if we're healthy, I, I really think that um, I've noticed that personally, I'm much more resilient when I, when I blow my routine out of the water occasionally and happier. I think I'm happier when I blow my routine out of the water on occasion. I really do. I, yeah. I need it. And, and I think part of, you know, part of that is, um, is vacation, taking vacation, taking, taking your time for yourself. I mean, I'm sitting here in, in New York city and of course being from Maine, I'm used to being surrounded by beautiful nature and living on a river and having trees and birds and animals and things like that. And so, now that I'm in this cityscape and this concrete jungle all the time, I found it incredibly important that every few months I have to get out into a natural setting for a good 48 hours or more um, in order to just keep my system running the, the way it needs to run, honestly. We were like that when we lived in Boston. Yeah, we lived right downtown. And yeah, it was like a every other month kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Do you take a train or do you have a car in New York? I do not have a car in New York, but mm -hmm. uh, I have friends that have cars and one can rent cars. And then there are, yes, there are trains and planes and, and everything else. I'm, a, I'm, I'm very well-traveled. Um, not so much anymore. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I actually did get up to Maine twice this summer to see my family. We live about uh, 45 minutes up the highway from where you are. Um, and it was, it was an unusually hot summer. And I mean, just beautiful, absolutely beautiful weather. And I really enjoyed myself. And it was the first time that I worked from Maine because I was still doing classes um, through Zoom while I was there. And there was one point where there were, um, I was staying with my, with my mother and uh, there were three of us in the house on Zoom calls at the same time. And I just thought to myself, well, this is, um, this is irresponsible. This is not <laughs> like this is not the way it's supposed to be, um, and so so I took a little break from that. I gave myself a couple of days there without any uh, technology at mm -hmm. all, which I think was very important. Ah, which um which kind of brings me to uh, another thing I wanted to ask you about, and that is about cleansing. Um, I know Ayurveda is is quite big on doing various cleanses. Um, so a couple things. One, can you describe kind of in general, because of course Ayurveda is very much about the individual in front of you and what they need specifically, but in general, kind of what an Ayurvedic cleanse looks like, and then how that is different from our, uh, the juice cleanse that one would see, uh, 
certainly around here in New York City. I'm not sure if you get it up, up where you are. Um, and also the benefit or not benefit or how you feel about cleansing the mind as well, as far as, you know, unplugging goes and, and how that ought to be done and when that ought to be done. Yeah. So my, um, my second book is about the mind. It's Everyday Ayurveda Cooking for a Calm, Clear Mind. And the reason I wrote that book is because I wrote the first book, which was like my like sort of general treatise on um, introductory information and Ayurveda and, and setting up a kitchen, you know, mm. and, and recipes. It's 100 seasonal recipes. But I, um, I realized halfway through writing it uh, in my practice, like I work one on one with people as well as in groups and, and whatnot. But I was noticing that it was the mind was the biggest player in in the process of imbalance, like 80% of the time, even if something is manifesting physically, like as uh, psoriasis or something, that there's often a, a component of of the mind. And, and it's usually it's usually stress, it's usually overstimulation and, and the body's difficulty digesting the amount of, of uh, information and sensation that it's getting on a 24 hour cycle. So in that book, I talk about mind cleansing and I do think it's super important, potentially more important than the body for us these days. Um, so your example of like, everybody is on a zoom call, like while you're on vacation, like totally it's, it's, it's getting harder and harder to unplug. Even our social events now are, are plugged. You know, where yeah. we're like our family, the only way we're going to see each other is on a Zoom call. And, you know, I noticed that um, there is a, a generational something that's going on because there there was a point where where my mother, you know, who was in her 60s, she just uh, hit the little button to turn to turn mute on and to turn her video off and left the house. And I was like, what you doing, mom? Aren't you on a aren't you on a call? And she's like not on a call right now. I can get back to it later. And I went for a little walk. <laughs> okay, there we are. <laughs> Very good. She's modeling the good, good hygiene. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I, I do think that the topic of the mind is a big one um, for sure. And one of the, therapies that can be used is yoga. I mean, yoga is all psychology. It's all about the field of the mind. Um, so I do think that that the information in that book and the practices in that book, the calm, clear mind one are the, the best, you know, for people who are into yoga. But from a, a physical perspective, you know, with cleansing, there's cleansing and there's rejuvenating. Those are like the two sides of the coin. And it's important to know which one you need. Like a person needs to know whether they need rejuvenation or they need cleansing. And usually I think we tend to believe that we're all like dirty and in need of cleaning. But the case that uh, can also be is that we're in a state of deficiency or exhaustion. And um, I do see that in New Yorkers, actually, because the pace, probably not anymore, but the pace of, of the life was, was so intense and there's a lot of movement and movement um, 
it, it creates a, a friction in, in a way that kind of um, burns away heaviness. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's like, uh, you know, if you just lie around and like eat potato chips and watch TV all the time, your, your body's going to start to get too heavy. Yeah. And then you'll start to see like uh, stagnation, constipation, maybe uh, Thomas in the mind where, you know, you start to feel like depressed or you have a brain fog. All those kind of things happen when when the body is in, in a stagnant and sedentary way. Mm-hmm. Whereas when we're in movement all the time, it's the opposite that happens. It's like things start getting whipped up. And so the movement processes in the body start moving at a unnatural pace, which the easiest way to picture that is like your nervous system. Mm. So you think that the nervous system is kind of on overload, trying to digest all of the stimulation that comes in through sound and sight and smell and taste, which is, you know, New York is famous. It's like India. There's a lot of sounds and sights and, you know, anytime you go anywhere. And so the, it's like the, the central nervous system is the aspect of the body that's kind of digesting and assimilating all of that sensation, right? Through our the stimulation of the senses. And so that it's like that system starts to get overwhelmed and starts to vibrate at an unnatural frequency. And that causes all sorts of problems. So if it, one is in that kind of a state where one, one's like movement vibration, which we call Vata, Bata dosha, if people have heard that terminology, it's, it's all of the movement processes in the body are governed by this combination of space element and air element. So it's like air moving through the spaces in our body, like our digestive tract, our ears, mm-hmm. the skin, right? There's all these, these different processes going on. And so we could start to see imbalances in any of those processes because of just this sheer overload of stimulation and information. So the information factor comes in through the eyes and comes in through the internet, the phone. You know, we're always talking, we're always listening to something, you know, like I make a point not to listen to something all the time. And I have to be like, no podcasts, we're just going to clean the yard. You know, we're just going to clean, you know, and I do that every day where it's like, no, we're not listening. Like we're not taking anything in during this time. And that I think is a cleanse. So -hmm. that's the way to cleanse the uh, vibrational or energetic system in the body is to to kind of um, remove stimulation for a while or some of it. You take it down a notch at least, right? So in a system that's in that state of hyper vigilance and hyper vibration, if we were to put them on a cleanse where there was a restriction of the food it could cause further problems we're going to when we start having less food there's all this movement in the body it's like the body's kind of like burning calories you know because of the the stimulation and the vigilance that's going on on a mental level so if we stop feeding it things are just going to get even worse so it's i know you know once people start talking about removing my food. I I have a very intense reaction, very intense and immediate reaction Mm -hmm. to it. Um, And it's not a good one. (laughs) So I see where you're going here. (laughs) Yeah. There are things that can be um, removed without removing food, Mm -hmm. for sure. 
And on a, on the physical perspective, the cleansing of the body is, it's only appropriate when the, the person themselves are strong, are strong enough to undergo a cleanse. Mm. And so that's like, you know, if you're like sick, you know, and somebody's coming down with something, they think I'm going to do a cleanse. It's like, Ooh, actually we want to make sure the body has plenty of nourishment at that time. So cleansing, there's cleansing and like, what does it actually mean in the Ayurveda texts? And it's like, it's kind of serious. <laughs> it's like <laughs> vomiting and enemas and uh, purgatives, you know, like uh, really rigorous processes. So we have this terminology you'll hear in Ayurveda where we talk about a home cleanse. Mm. And a home cleanse is generally a gentle protocol. It's something that like people can do at home. Because real cleansing, what's known as shodhana, is like panchakarma uh, therapies. And that is not meant to be done at home. That's meant to be done under the supervision of an Ayurvedic doctor while at residence in an Ayurvedic hospital or center. It's, you know, it, it's very much like kind of walking to the mental institution and checking yourself in. Like it is like going, that. going to the Ayurvedic place <laughs> to to check yourself in you're you are very much surrendering your will almost to someone to someone else and saying please i need help fix me <laughs> it's a it's serious business that the cleansing that shodhana as you're talking the pancha karma can be very serious business yeah yeah it definitely is and that's how i got interested in ayurveda because i I had some problems, digestive problems, and underwent a panchakarma, not knowing anything about Ayurveda in India in mm -hmm. 20-some years ago. And that was what got me into it because I was so um, changed by the process, you know. So what most people will have heard of for a home cleanse is, is kitchery. So yeah. there's this description in the, in the text of, of the foods that, are, uh, that cause no imbalances in the body and so choice among those are mung beans and basmati rice so the mung bean gets like a special dispensation <laughs> that it doesn't, have, it, it doesn't you may have, have as many body. mung beans as you want congratulations <laughs> yep. in healthy body you can have the mung beans and you can have the the basmati rice which is usually white basmati rice which everybody gets in a bunch about that mm -hmm. but that the reason is because the hull and the bran of the rice are actually they require a lot of digestive fire they're pretty hard, right? If you think yeah. about the texture of brown rice, it's like it really takes some some breaking down. So the idea is that we we hull the rice and the mung bean. So we it, we eat these split yellow mung beans and this white basmati rice, and you get this sort of gruel yeah. that we call kitchery, right? And it's got generally got ghee in it and digestive spices, turmeric cumin seed, coriander seed, fennel seed. Those are kind of like your big, big four. And they all uh, assist the, the body's digestive organs in, in doing what they do best, which is to digest food, to absorb nutrition through the small intestine. And then that is later broken down by the liver and actually assimilated via the bloodstream. So there's this whole digestive process that's going on. 
And the idea is that we kind of like get gunked up over time because, you know, we eat potato chips or drink wine or whatever it is. Like nobody's perfect. We, we have fun. Yeah. We have a life, right? That <laughs> involves food. And even if you don't eat crap, it can still happen. If your diet's too clean, you still run into problems. Your, your flesh starts eating itself. You have your own nut to crack if you don't eat enough food or enough grounding, nourishing food. So the idea is that the, the, those two, the legume and the grain and the ghee, the ghee is the, um, it's a moisture factor. Mm. So the moisture factor, uh, if you imagine like sort of toxins in your body, little pieces of undigested gunk or um, metals, heavy metals or like some weird ass chemical from the lawn, you know, <laughs> that stuff gets kind of like lodged in the body. It could be anywhere, you know, mm. on our inside our channels, muscle tissue, fat tissue and the blood. Right. And so the idea is that the ghee, it, it kind of slickifies it like kind of gets uh it gets in there to the corners and mm -hmm. kind of can grab stuff because a lot of these heavy toxins are fat soluble so the idea and this is traditional ayurveda it goes way back the idea is that you kind of clean the body with fat actually which is so not your juice fast right right definitely not <laughs> so there's some ghee in the diet and it's just sort of to slickify the major channel in the body, which is the digestive tract between the mouth and the anus. And that's where it all goes down. Like bodies are designed to get rid of waste through that channel. Mm. And that's why Panchakarma technicians, if, if you're like, you really need more help, they'll be making you vomit. They'll be giving you enemas. They'll be making, giving you herbal medicines to, to throw up, you know, or to have diarrhea. And this is all to clean that, that channel. So if we're doing a home cleanse at home, we just eat this very simple diet. We use those digestive spices and you do it for a number of days, you know, long enough that your body, your body, it's like it, it gets a message when you change the diet in a big way and you do what we call a mono diet mm -hmm. where you're just eating the rice and the mung bean and the spices and a little ghee. And so your body goes into kind of cleanse mode and it starts bringing stuff to the digestive tract. And so the, it's interesting because a lot of people, they get on, I, I teach like a community cleanse in the spring and in the fall where we all get on board and do this process together. And a, a lot of people get really um, confused because they, the digestion is kind of worse sometimes during the process. Mm -hmm. It's like you're really bloated or you're constipated or you have diarrhea, all this weird stuff's going on. You're burping. It's because your body's kind of bringing things into the digestive tract to be eliminated. Mm. And because the diet is nourishing enough, like it's not just juice, you can do it for a longer period of time without causing deficiencies. So you might do five days, seven days. Some people do two weeks, three weeks, right? It just depends on on the person on what they're trying to accomplish. But the difference between a mono diet and a juice diet is that you can go for longer periods of time without causing imbalances or deficiencies. And so that gives your body more time to kind of root around and find the junk and cycle it back to the digestive tract to be eliminated. Gotcha. Thank you for that. Um, 
So home cleansing, other things that one can do at home, you have uh, three videos on your website. One is on abhyanga, one is on oil pulling, and one is on tongue scraping. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm, I'm an avid abhyangar, and I have been for, for some time. And I was actually, I was really uh, pleased to watch your video because <laughs> I realized it's been quite a while and I've, I've been neglectful of abhyanga-ing into my nostrils and into my ears. It's just something I was kind of, you know, I like stop at the neck and then I was like, oh, uh-huh. there's nothing more to do. Um, so, so thank you for that. Uh, personal note. Um, and, um, but um, Bianca is something that I recommend to my students and have many times and uh, with, you know, amounts, different amounts of success, whether they actually do it or not. Um, but I personally think that I have, you know, cured myself of various quite intense aches and pains and issues uh, with the Bianca. Is, uh, would you mind speaking on that for, for a little bit? Again, just because I would like my students to hear this from a professional that's not me, you know? Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, Abhyanga is, of all of the different, what we call Dinacharya. Dinacharya means like daily routine. Mm-hmm. Um, there are so many routines like tongue scraping, oiling of the skin. A lot of them have to do with the care of the senses, those five sense organs, um, because of what I was talking about earlier with the nervous system and the, the, the vibration quality of, of each human organism. So the sense organs and the yogis talk about this too. The sense organs are problematic because they always are busy. Like they're always, you know, the eyes are always looking, the ears are always listening. And like a lot of our prana, a lot of our life energy is constantly being routed through these sense organs to look at stuff and listen to stuff and taste and all that. So the skin is the largest of those, of the five sense organs. And therefore one of the more important points actually, and it's covered with nerve endings. Like if we look from a Western perspective, we're seeing that the skin is covered with a multitude of nerve endings. That's how we like feel the sensation when we, you know, slide a hand over your arm or something. And so we're constantly uh, receiving stimulus through through that sense organ. And it's also quite exposed, mm-hmm. you know, more so than like your ear or your nose. It's like your skin is just kind of like there. <laughs> mm-hmm. So it's, it's receiving a lot of feedback and, get, and getting a lot of um, use. And of all the different things, tongue scraping, oiling of the ears, the nose, the skin, the skin in the Abhyanga is said to be the most important practice. And it's, it says in the text that the one who practices oil massage daily does not suffer from disease and can withstand hard work. Mm. So strengthens, it basically strengthens the body. So it's it's actually a wonderful technique for boosting the immune system at this time because when we protect the sense organs we protect the prana Uh you know that's like when we apply oil to the entire body it's like you're really you're packing the prana in back into your body instead of it constantly going going out in response to the stimulus 
from the sense organ of the skin. Mm -hmm. So oil is, is the, it's the balancer to, to that, um, that vata, that vata dosha, that, um, that which governs all the movement, all the attention of the mind and, and the movement of the day. And oil is sort of the, the most balancing substance, especially sesame oil is mentioned. So for people who are really dry, have dry skin, sesame oil can be used for the oil massage. And it's, um, it's good for aches and pains, like you described, Michael, because it, um, especially in people who do vigorous yoga, we need to also protect the joint space. And like mm -hmm. the juice, like the body, we need the body to remain juicy. The uh -huh. tendency as we yeah. age, <laughs> the tendency as we age is for the body to become more dry. Mm. That's just what happens to human bodies. And so oil is, is also a longevity technique. And so oiling of the skin is again, sealing in the prana and sealing in the moisture as well. So it's really helpful for, for joints and um, even the way that, that Ayurveda views nutrition in the body is that one tissue system actually feeds another. So when you feed the skin, you're actually feeding the nutritive blood layer. You're actually feeding the, the cartilage in the joints. You're actually even feeding the myelin sheath mm. right? and like improving your back bends and getting more sustainability in, in your body to be able to withstand back bends. Oil massage can actually do all that when it's used regularly. So the, have you told them how to do it already? I have told them how to do it, but I would love you to tell them how to do it because you know better than I do. Well, I think the thing that's, that is most important is that the oil is warm and there's kind oh, of different. I have something for you, or I mean, I don't have something for you, but it's, it's, it's ephemeral. It's an idea, yeah. um, which I, which I got from a student of mine who, who is also a massage therapist. Mm. And what he has done is he purchased uh, a little device that he's used to warm baby formula. Oh, nice. And he uses that to warm the oils. So it's just, you know, it's basically like a device that has water in it. It heats the water and then you just plop the, right. the vessel of oil in it and then it warms, it warms whatever, you know, is there. So I, I thought you might like, like that. Cool. <laughs> I had a friend who used like a, a mini crock pot Oh, yeah. 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 But this thing sounds way smaller. Yeah. Tiny, really one. tiny. Yeah. Like perfect size. Yeah. You know, what I usually tell people is just to um, fill the, put a little hot water in a mug and mm -hmm. drop the oil, the thing of oil into the mug, you know, Le leave it in there while you get undressed. And then the waters, uh, the hot water will warm the oil. Oh, and you can do that like with the same water you use to make your tea or coffee, no? Oh yeah. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, the oil massage is usually done before the shower. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's usually done first thing in the morning. I, I have found that to be problematic for Ashtanga students. Some of them end up like a slip and slide in practice. And so mm -hmm. for those people, I just have them do it after. And it can also be done in the evening, especially helpful for nervous tension and any sleep problems. 
difficulty falling asleep or staying asleep, it can be done in the evening. And so then it's, it's done as an antidote to the movement of the day, as opposed to a cleansing routine. When you do abhyanga in the morning, it actually cleans, it cleans the body, that oil kind of pulls toxins out through the, through the skin. So we do it before the shower with the warm oil. And then, so the longer you leave the oil on your body, the more benefit you get from it. Mm. So 20 minutes, 40 minutes. That's where I find people don't do it. If I say you have to leave the oil on for 20 minutes, they're like, <laughs> it's great if people are doing a chanting practice, meditation after practice, something like that, you can oil up and like sit on a towel as long as the, the room you're in is warm enough. So it's good to have a space heater or something in the, in the bathroom. And then after, you know, you, you could even do something, the simple way I usually say is just apply the oil to your body and then get in the shower. Mm -hmm. right? And like that still counts. And then the hot water does swedna, which is like a sweating. Like in India, they put you in like a steam box and kind the, of cook the you. steam coffin. Um, yeah. If any, if any of you out there have done any type of uh, panchakarma, or if you've just gone to an Ayurvedic clinic in India for an abhyanga or something like that, you will be familiar with the steam coffin, which right. is this box they put you in, and then they seal it shut. And the only thing that is out of the box is your head. And you cannot open the box from the inside. And oftentimes, whoever is your practitioner leaves the room and you don't know when they're going to come back. And you just think that you are going to perish inside this box of steam, or at least this is my reaction to it. So steam coffin. <laughs> yes. yes, which we simulate at home by just taking a hot shower. Which is much more pleasant. Yes, you're in control. <laughs> yeah, so it's like it opens the pores, it opens the, the top layers of the skin, you know, and you can kind of rub the oil a little more while you're, while you're in there and um, soak the hairy parts. But unless you feel excessively moist later in the day, I don't think you need to like uh, soap it all off. There are some, some practitioners who are very staunch and say you must soap it all off. The reason for that is that you can kind of catch a cold kind mm -hmm. of thing from, from having like moisture on the body when you get out of the shower kind of a deal. Mm -hmm. I find in our climate, cause we're covered in clothes, most of the time and people because our climate is so dry when we have the heaters on and, and we're indoors the skin will really just soak up most of this oil you shouldn't people shouldn't feel um like greasy after it should like soak in you know mm -hmm. so soaping the hairy parts kind of the nooks and crannies and the, the feet the bottoms of the feet and i don't recommend oiling the bottoms of the feet in this routine because it's very slippery in the shower it's just a safety issue there yeah and um, and then always being sure to oil the insides of the nose and the ears, as you mentioned, because those are also sensory organs that are getting a lot of movement of, of air all the time. So we protect those by oiling them. And then when you get out of the shower, it's like you're done. So you don't, and you don't apply moisturizer after the shower anymore. You just do the oil before. And it actually like gets into the body better because of the, the, the steam box when you get in the shower. So the sesame oil is good for the very dry types, 
or um, elderly, elderly meaning like, I would say like 60s, 70s, 80s. You don't have to be like 90 to use sesame oil. <laughs> Just <say. laughs> As we age, we get drier. And um, if, if people have problems with heat, in general, sesame oil is warming, which is nice for people who run cold. But if people are run hot or have problems with heat, coconut oil will cool the body. And sunflower oil is kind of right in the middle there, as well as almond oil, kind of right in the middle, not going to aggravate heat at all. And in some cases, and you don't see this as much with Ashtanga, but if people are excessive, have excessive moisture, usually when you do Ashtanga, that, that goes away. That is like no longer part of your, because you're, you're sweating and it balances that, that um, tendency for the body to, to be excessively moist. But in that case where the body tends towards like heaviness and dampness, we would actually just use a dry brush instead of the oil technique because that some bodies actually don't need moisture. Mm -hmm. You're talking about the very kind of kapha type, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I try not to use the words of the doshas too much because I feel like they've been overdone a little bit and, um, people get fixated on it mm. now on knowing what, what their constitution is and feeling like Ayurveda like can't be used by them unless they know exactly what their constitution is. And um, there's so many quizzes online and you can get so many different answers from the different quizzes. I know. <laughs> I know. It's like, I think it's better. I feel like it's better to like learn some routines, some practical stuff like what we've talked about today that people can like start using, you know? And then you start to get this feedback and this information from your body about like what it likes and what it doesn't like. Some people might start oiling and then feeling excessively moist mm. and be like, ooh, maybe I should try that dry brush thing. You know, and they might notice that at different times of year, different practices are appropriate. And I, I do think that, that that awareness of the body and its relationship to the environment your climate, your season, as well as to the, the practices that you're doing, you pay attention to that, you know, and you get information. And I feel like if that's a great place to start. And then you can be like learning Ayurvedic theory on the back end and start, you know, learning about doshas and whatnot, but not being fixated on it, but having a larger view of, of how Ayurveda can be used in the kitchen and in, in the bathroom, in the yoga, all that stuff. And then letting more understanding of the doshas arise over the course of a year or two of study. So it's very much a swadhyaya practice. It's, you know, a lot of self-reflection and a lot of getting out there and reading some good information on it, asking some good questions and getting some answers. And of course, tapas as well, actually going about doing it, you know, it's, uh, you don't get the, you don't get the benefit of the yoga unless you do the yoga and you don't get the benefit of the Ayurveda unless you do the Ayurveda, right? Exactly. That's part of why they go so well together because they're both these, um, practiced based systems that also have a real focus on self-awareness and experimentation. Hmm. Yes. Use yourself as the lab rat. Exactly. That's what I always, I always say, just be a mad scientist, you know, you try stuff. And then if you understand the qualities, like what dryness is and what moisture is, 
what heaviness is and what lightness is, you know, you eat foods that are heavy, they make you feel heavier. Is that a good thing for you or a bad thing? You know, and like, you know what those qualities feel like. And then, then you, you know what to pay attention for, Mm -hmm. you know, and that's, that's how I approach the teaching with, with the beginners is let's just talk about what is, what is moisture feel like? What is heat? What is cold? You know, and then, then you can, you know what you're being aware of and, and what you're noticing for the feedback in your body. So it's like you learn how to sort of decipher the signs that it's giving you. I like it. I like it a lot. It's nice. Um, well, I think that's a good leaving off place for us for right now. We've been talking for a little while, unless there is anything uh, you really feel like uh, the people out there in cyberspace desperately need to know before we sign off. Well, I think um, I'm going to head this one off at the pass because when people are first introduced to my work, they're always like, oh, they're overwhelmed because I have three different books. Mm. So if I can just say that the first book is the seasonal cookbook. So that's the one if you just want to start learning about the qualities of foods, the Everyday Ayurveda Cookbook. The second book, Everyday Ayurveda Cooking for a Calm, Clear Mind. Just remember calm, clear mind, because that's the, the, the one about sattva, rajas, and tamas, and the mind, mm. I think can be especially interesting for um, yoga people. It also describes the introduction about doshas, how to do abhyanga, all that stuff is also in there. And then the third one is not a cookbook. That one's home remedy mm-hmm. and self-care. So it's like a deeper, it goes way deeper into doshas. So if someone totally wants to dork out about that, it's in, that's in the Everyday Ayurveda Guide to Self-Care. And a deeper look at the practices. So like the stuff we do for the body at different times of day, at different times of year, the, uh, how the cleansing fits into that. More theoretical in that one, we talk about the bodies, the tissues, the channels, more like anatomy and physiology. And then there's 60 home remedy recipes for things like cough and cold, digestive distress, even topicals like skincare. So that's the difference between the three books. And I hope that, um, that people are, their interest is piqued and they find some nice reading there for the cold weather ahead. Wonderful. I mean, I know my interest is piqued and you also offer online cooking classes. You offer courses online. I mean, you are, you are all set up. Um, and, uh, I've been, I've been perusing your website and I'm, I'm very, uh, excited to peruse it more and to, to see what I can get myself into, you know, now that I kind of have free time on occasion. Um, so thank you so much for joining me. Again, if you want to find out more about Kate, it's kateodonnell.yoga. That's O-D-O-N-N-E-L-L dot yoga. Thank you so much, Kate. It has been a pleasure. Great to meet you, Michael. Good. Thanks, everybody, for listening. <laughs>